0: you know, one of the key one of the key attitudes that person has to have for us to be comfortable hiring them is they have to have an ear to the ground. Like they need to be a listener. They need to be able to listen to what their community is saying and iterate and lead. And we're happy to give them all the resources to do that, but it takes a special personality to be able to do that.
1: My name is Ish Bade and I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually. And I'm
0: Will Manon. I'm course director at Forte Academy. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss the future of education, including online courses, boot camps, and how the internet is changing how we learn.
1: Hey, everybody, Ish here, joined by Joe Penn, the head of operations at OnDeck. Joe, so terrific to have you here today. Would you be able to introduce yourself real quick?
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Ish, and really happy to be here. Uh, like you said, I'm Joe Penn, head of operations at OnDeck. I lead some of our company operations. I've done a bunch of work on our program operations side. I joined when the company was about 50 folks, uh, a little over a year ago, and so we have scaled quite a bit since then. Launched a lot of new programs and offerings, and uh, really excited to dive in today.
1: Yeah, Joe, so great to have you. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this is just obviously a huge supportive on deck, and the all the innovation that it's doing in the industry. When the pandemic happened, everybody was trying to figure out how do you learn online, how do you gather online, and I think. More than any other organization I've seen, OnDeck has really nailed this. And they've created not just these amazing learning programs, but these amazing communities. And me personally, having gone through some of the OnDeck programs, have made some terrific friends and have seen how much effort you guys into put into developing these programs, but also iterating on them. There's just so much data that's at play. And, and I'm just excited to get into the nitty gritty of the operations. But before we get to that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you made your way into this head of Ops role at on deck. Absolutely
0: sure. I have somewhat of an odd path in. I studied physics and religious studies in school. Um, I went to to UC Santa Barbara and from there I went through a program called Venture for America. It's a fellowship that matches recent college graduates with emerging tech markets so that those cities are Detroit, New Orleans, Miami, uh, Cincinnati. And the goal of it at the time, at least this was before remote culture changed the game a bit, but the idea was to get more talent into these ecosystems and make sure that people are, are able to grow their startups with local talent. And so I moved to Detroit, I actually worked in ecosystem building there. So I helped stand up and then run an angel investing group. The first in Detroit It was called Woodward Angels. Um, We were making seed investments in Michigan-based companies. Um, And I was also helping uh, project manage a real estate development that was working to uh, bring innovation uh, to downtown Detroit. Um, And so that was uh, my background from there. Again, non-traditionally, I launched a bagel shop. I ran a bagel shop in Detroit for about a year. It's called Tove Bagel. We had a great time running that. It was an interesting experience leaving the tech scene for a bit, running a, a small business, which is just an incredible feat for anybody that's done it for you know extended periods of time we sold that business. And then I joined OnDeck. And I joined, like I said, about a year ago, we were a seed stage company at that time. And I joined as an operations generalist, which was essentially building out the operations behind how we would launch all the programs in our roadmap. So we had, at the time, just three programs. We had OnDeck Founder Fellowship, OnDeck Angels, and then a program called OnDeck Writers. And since then, you know, we've launched quite a bit. Obviously, there's so much that's happened in the OnDeck ecosystem since and, and it's been amazing to be part of it all.
1: Yeah. And obviously, a huge shift, shift from going from a bagel, running a bagel shop to a head of ops at OnDeck. I'm curious, what excited you about the role? Obviously, when you were interviewing with the leadership uh, team, what did they portray the role as in terms of what your core responsibilities would be?
0: Yeah. It's a great question. And there's actually a lot of similarities, I think. And for anybody, again, that's run a small business, they'll probably tell you the same. So much of a small business is operations. And by operations, what I really mean is no balls dropped. And that was the the mandate given. When you're running your own business, of course, a small business in particular, no balls dropped is sort of the the name of the game. You're every day making the product, every day trying to sell to customers, every day your paycheck comes from how you do that day. And so when you run operations at a tech company, it's very similar. It's It's binary goals. It's yes or no, whether you've accomplished them or not. OnDeck has done a lot of experimentation. We've got a lot of interesting programs we've launched. Some have worked, some we've moved on and iterated from. Those weren't operations. That was strategy. Operations is making sure that when we launch the program, everything about the program operationally is sound. Maybe the strategy we find out doesn't work in the market. That's okay. That's normal. But a program should never fail because we didn't set the operations up. The uh, community wasn't set up the right way, etc. Those are our core components of on deck. We know how to do those things, so that was a role at the time: is ensure that those are the things we make sure we get, and that then we can take a bunch of bets, experiments, and know that the variable that we're testing is the market, not the format of the program itself. Yeah,
1: and and Joe, just to give the listeners a little bit of context, uh, help us understand where is on deck in terms of kind of the scale that it's operating right now. Whatever numbers you're able to share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have almost 20 programs or somewhere around 20 programs at this point. I'll have to count. We launched so quickly. I don't have the latest. We've got thousands of fellows as a part of the community. We've invested in many founders. At this point, we launched ODX. It's an accelerator. And we launched that just a few months ago, and we're investing in founders really early. Uh, Even pre-conviction, we're we're working with founders to help them understand what they want to do, and we'll be the first check-in. And so we're really excited to be able to back great founders really early on. And in addition to that, we've got that ODX accelerator side We also have our career accelerators. Those are ODPM for product management, OnDeck design, ODCS for customer success. These are all communities of people who are trying to up-level in their fields. They might be a customer success professional, a design professional that's looking to meet with peers from around the industry, hear from experts, get guidance on what's new in the industry. And those folks are able to level up their careers and build their community. And then the third aspect of OnDeck is our sort of hiring and transitions program. So OD50, On Deck First 50, is a program for people who want to be a first 50 employee at a company. And so these people are coming from all over. They're coming from tech, they're coming from consulting, they're coming from banking. And what they want is to be, they want to be on an early team. They want to make a really high impact um, on an early team. And so those programs are able to help people learn what they might be most interested in. It helps them navigate the career journey and then we have a bunch of programs to help them find that perfect job through somewhat of a marketplace through OnDeck, but also just through connections in the community, which is the strength of OnDeck to begin with.
1: Yeah. And Joe, I think one thing that's very interesting at OnDeck as an organization, which is different from a lot of companies as they scale, is that in a lot of ways, it's very decentralized. Like all these programs operate as kind of individual identities. Uh, talk to the decision for why the company structured that way and what kind of a, the benefits and cons of taking that approach
0: yeah it's certainly like a it's certainly a challenge to keep it all together it's one that we're really excited about one that we enjoy but the benefits are that we're constantly looking at the customer holistically and so what might the customer what might the community member want Well, at one point in their career, they might be trying to to up-level in their job. They might be a product manager. They're looking to improve their skills, meet other product managers, expand their scope of knowledge of what product management is, what tech covers, and they'll join ODPM. And we've built that program for that person. At the same time, that person might at some point decide they'd like to move on to a new role. They're not exactly sure what it is. They don't even know what industry. They've only known sort of the industries they've worked in so far. And so OD50 serves to help them figure that out. Where do they want to go? How should they position themselves in the market? And how do they meet these companies that are looking for them? And we've developed that program with that customer in mind. And then eventually, our goal as OnDeck is to help people start companies as well. So we want more companies, we want more startups, we want to grow the startup economy. And as people get to that point in their career, and they want to start a company, we're able to be the first one that backs them. We've known them for years as they've gone through the programs, they've you know been a part of our community. And now they're ready to start a company and they've applied to ODX and we're able to back them and help them grow. And then the flywheel start all over again. We're able to help them find their early team members through OD50 and up-level those team members through our programs. And to go back to your question of why do it all consolidated? Why not separate it? And the answer is that we believe it's better for the customer. That right now we're able to think about the customer in every aspect of On deck and really keep that persona in mind for, for no matter what decision or what part of the organization we're talking about.
1: Yeah. And it also sounds like it allows you guys to move really fast. It I think having all these pro- programs be independent, it like gives them the flexibility to figure things out themselves, identify what's unique about their market and run their programs. That's one of the things I've seen is obviously I've gone through an on-deck program. I have friends who've gone through on-deck programs i I paid for employees to go through on-deck programs and everybody does something so different. And I think that kind of flexibility is really cool. Because it, it's like, basically, there's 20 different companies within OnDeck that are able to move lightning fast and don't need these like layers of hierarchy and bureaucracy, which would slow down any other company.
0: Yeah, it's a motto that our co-CEO, David Booth, uses. It's loosely coupled, highly aligned which is that the you know organization loosely coupled around, there's lots of people doing lots of things, but highly aligned and that we're all working towards the same goal. So it's certainly a balance. It's not always easy to keep, but the, the benefits are just so strong that it's worth it.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that I think OnDeck is also able to maybe move so fast, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you guys have really embraced this idea of quick iteration and leveraging no-code tools. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. No code is, um, is in our blood. No code is the backbone of On deck. We've got an amazing engineering team. I don't want to undersell anything they do. That's for sure. Our product, our talent hub, our directory is incredible. And that's, that's our product team working. At the same time, what enables them, I think, to be so incredible is that no code is ingrained in our culture. And the idea behind it is that anybody at the whole company should be able to make an MVP of what they want. And so that enables people to feel a lot of ownership instead of coming up with an idea pitching it to maybe a product manager or someone on the product team and hmm, seeing if it'll make the roadmap they're able to make it themselves they're able to jump into Zapier and make a an MVP of it and that I think is enabled us to really iterate quickly we use Airtable Notion Zapier these are all core parts of ondeck because they you know we fundamentally believe that everybody at the company should have that skill the ability to build their first iteration, try something out, um, see what automation could save them a lot of time. And efficiency-wise, the organization... I know Steph Smith talks about this a lot as well, that you can go through, it's worthwhile to take a, a week almost and write down everything you're doing and then say, how can I automate this? And you'll end up probably saving an hour or two a week. Um, and that adds up obviously over the course of a year, maybe even more than that time-wise. So it's so ingrained in everything we've done. We're now starting to productize things as we've grown. We're like hitting some limits in some of those tools, although those tools are iterating almost as quickly as we are. And we're really grateful for everybody we've worked with at Airtable, Zapier, et cetera, who have worked with us to try to you know roll out new features and keep things moving um, because we're really excited about all they've enabled us to do.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I'm aware of is that ONDEC also has an internal engineering team. So, aside from obviously no code automation tools that each of these programs, fellowships are spinning up themselves to solve these day to day problems, at what point does this productionizing happen? At what point do you realize, okay, like no code has ran its course? We need now a more scalable solution.
0: Yeah. It's a good question. I think it's a tough one at on deck because as you mentioned earlier we iterate so quickly that sometimes we want to be well we want to be really careful that when we productize something it's something we know we're going to use for a long time and so I don't envy uh, our product managers who are like figuring out what's the most important thing to work on right now but generally their guidepost is how do we help founders get back to building? How do we have them build what they want to build? And what do we do to help them get there? And so with that as the guidepost, I think that's how they make their decisions of what should we productize? What will we keep in MVP no-code mode? There's probably more we we could productize than we've done so far, but there's limited resources. They have to make those decisions. And, and there is an empowerment of keeping things in no-code. It enables uh, people to go in and learn when things break and intimately understand what's important. So uh, a good example, we have we have these, co- these matching mechanisms for how people in the community should you know, meet each other. A lot of it's personal. A lot of it's like people looking and saying these two people should meet each other. That's the, the bulk of it. But we do have some automation behind it. And by understanding what happens in that automation, it gives people on that are working directly with founders a better idea of what the founder's experience is. If it was just a totally productized you know, experience, I think it removes... The customer and the team just a little bit. And now with this no-code element in the middle, it's just a lot more touchy-feely. You understand what's going on, what's triggering what, how are notifications being received. But so the customer experience is everything at OnDeck. It's what we've spent a lot of time and will continue to spend a lot of time ensuring that we deliver on. And by being really close to the customer, which no-code enables us to do, I think we're, we're really happy with the path that's taken us down.
1: Yeah. And one of the amazing things about this, and it just blows my mind how this is going to shape companies in the future, is this idea of that basically everybody's an engineer. Like before, if you wanted a problem solved, you put in a request to the engineering team who would add it to the backlog and God knows when they would get to it. Now it's, hey, like everybody is equipped to solve these problems and you don't have to wait months to solve them. You can solve them today.
0: It's a... When I was helping build the program teams early on, we were hiring on lots of people, maybe one a week at this point, who was going to be an operations person and a community builder on one of these programs. And their face every time I would say, and now you're going to build something. And this is probably their second day. And at this time, we were having them build complex application flows all you know chained together through Zapier and Type 4, et cetera. And it, it was my favorite project. You just throw people in the fire. And of course we were helping but there was lots of looms, et cetera, to help people figure it out. And there was always a check at the end to ensure we weren't shipping something that wasn't going to work. But the empowerment first well first the like the fear <laughs> in someone's eyes and they're like I'm going to build that. It looks so complicated, and then the empowerment at the end of the week when, in their first week at OnDeck, they've shipped in an, an incredibly helpful piece of work that directly leads to a cohort launching. I think the empowerment people feel is like the back end help, helpfulness of No Code. It's not just the ability to build what you need really quickly. That's the obviously front end, really great part about No Code. But the back end of it is people feeling. Like they have the power to create uh, that they don't need to wait on anybody else in the organization to really move forward on initiatives and and automate things and make themselves more efficient. And the ownership mentality that it really perpetuates throughout the organization is probably like maybe even a larger benefit than anything else.
1: Yeah, that's so powerful. And I just love how you guys have embraced it. Now, Joe, just shifting gears a little bit. I what, what One of the things that's very trendy right now is that people talking about the metaverse. And while... There may be a future where all of us are in VR headsets. Our thesis really is that a lot of the metaverse will actually be, is just about when our digital identity moves online and more of our an increasing amount of our daily interactions go virtual. And I actually feel like a lot of that has already happened. A lot of us are living in the metaverse. And these relationships that we have on Zoom that we're building, representative of that. And I feel like On Deck is such a big piece of that because it's like the first time we're having virtual communities being built totally online. And so I really now want to get into the nitty gritty of what it takes to build a really thriving online community because it's, I think we've all been a part of these Slack group and Discord channels that die over time. But On Deck has built something that actually is just energized and continues to thrive. And I'm, I'm really curious how you guys pull that off. So maybe the three kind of main questions here is live events and live programming is so core to the On Deck experience. I'm curious how does On Deck thinking about Building kind of the live programming, the discovery aspect. How do you get fellows aware about all the live programming that's going on? And then how do you track engagement and then iterate on those events?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm glad that you brought those three up together because there, they're, it's an iterative process that goes through sort of each of the the aspects you just touched on. So I'll actually start. I'll start at the back end. I'll start with your last question, which is how are we tracking the customer engagement? because it influences everything else. On Deck we've talked about very iterative company, not afraid at any moment to like change sales as we need to keep in line with what our, you know, community members are looking for. And so we are maniacal about tracking how people are feeling about their experience in On Deck. We obviously NPS is really common, we do really survey NPS quite often, but there's lots of other ways that we do it. Surveying is one really helpful way but there's also you know, downsides to surveying and who doesn't fill it out, why don't they fill it out, et cetera. And there's really just no replacement for face-to-face conversation. And so that's why we've put such an emphasis on communities being built by the on deck staff being so ingrained in their community. So I know you're in the scale fellowship, and there's so many, um, there's just so many people on that team working to ensure that everybody has such a good experience there and that we're iterating and building on what founders really need. And so we do it almost scientifically, like we have a hypothesis on on what founders are looking for, and then we'll figure out, all right, how can we offer that? And then we'll iterate. Did that work? Did people enjoy that? Did it not? And so. I'll, to answer your last question, there, we we're thinking about the customer in everything that we and everything that we do. There's nothing off limits to change almost about on deck, if it would be in the best interest of the customer. And coming back to um, coming back to the beginning now about live events, live events online, metaverse, whatever sort of you want you wanted to call it, they're no different than in-person events in many ways. In that an in-person event, you need to get X, Y, and Z out of it to feel like it was worth your time. And a live event is very similar. And so by thinking about it in the same frame, and then just trying to understand what tools will enable that outcome, I think we're able to get much further than if we were to step back and say, well, everything is different about it. Well, actually, everything is really similar. People really want to get connections that they feel good. They want to feel like their time was valued while they were there. They want unique experiences that they can't get elsewhere those are true whether that's an event at a you know back of a bar or in an on deck zoom room what's different is that the platform that you're using for that for that event that's what's going to facilitate whether you're able to reach that outcome or not and so i think that's what's really important is what platforms are we using how do we use different interactive ways to uh, to engage people and making sure that the outcomes that we're tracking are aligned with what the customer outcomes are. Because there's so many different platforms out there. Obviously, virtually, there's so much going on that it's all about looking around, figuring out how do we reach the outcome that people are looking for? And then and the tools are out there right now. And that's the way that we, we tackle that issue.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting because I've now you know, spoken to the founders of all top boot camps and cohort based courses, and they all... Tracking is so critical to their workflow tracking who shows up to their events, collecting that feedback. And it's, it really represents a new era of education. Because when I think back to my experience in college, uh, honestly, professors, they weren't tracking any of this. They could have, and even when they did track, they weren't doing anything about it. And one thing that really amazed me about OnDeck's process is not only are you religious about tracking this information, but you actually use it to iterate on the program. And you see these drastic changes happen, not over years or semester, but over weeks. I My experience going on through, through On Deck, I went to the very first cohort, ODS1, which started, kicked off a year ago. It, the the program that it is today is drastically different than it, what it was when I started, but it's way better. And it's more valuable because the team like leaned in, I, you know, with Ty and Jason and Josh and, and Colin and the rest of the team. What they did, they were so great about it, which like blew me away. Was that they figured out, hey, like for this demographic, these are the things that are resonant. These are the types of live events that really matter. So let's double down on this and then cut everything else. And you saw that shift, saw the iteration. And you just don't see that in traditional education, which makes me just so bullish on the on-deck model.
0: I I, I appreciate it. And and they will too very hard-working folks you, you just named, but it's it really is the case, unafraid to iterate. And that makes things challenging sometimes. There's never a dull day at on deck when we're constantly trying to figure out the best way to serve people. And it's definitely not an e- it's not the easy way to do it, but I do think that it's worked out for us. and and that's why when you are part of on deck design, for example, you'll find a mix of live events like we've talked about, but you'll also find asynchronous abilities to learn through OnDeck design. You'll find learning modules that we've created that help you level up in one aspect or another. And so we're constantly iterating. Live events is one aspect of it. There's also more to it, and we're still figuring out what else that is. People crave that live interaction, certainly, and that's where OnDeck has found its, its fit right now. But we know that there's more people are on different time zones, people work different hours, people, some are even in the office and can't join an on-deck event in the middle of the day, et cetera. And we're still trying to figure out what are all the different ways that we can serve people and live events we will never you know, leave. That's a core part of it, the, the face-to-face interactions that we can facilitate, the friendships people make, the learnings they have through through their peers but there's a lot of other aspects too. And so we're unafraid in each program to figure out what that might be. In scale, people might not have the time for as many events or modules or et cetera. And so those need to be just really quick hits of really specific knowledge that people feel was so valuable. Whereas in other programs, people might be looking for more relaxed peer-to-peer conversation where they can just explore different topics. They're trying to understand what industries they might be in, into or whatever. And so we're unafraid to change the model. And that's the, the core, I think, of what we do.
1: Yeah. And given that live events is so important to the on experience, obviously, you guys are thinking of beyond just live events. But with live events specifically, Joe, I'm really curious, how do you, and this is a, this is a challenge, like oldest time which is how do you get people to show up like any type of event you're hosting whether that's an in-person party for for like um, housewarming or you're hosting uh, virtual events you're spending a lot of time organizing these events and attendance is something that's really critical in a virtual environment it seems like everybody's on front of one of the most distracting this is that you could possibly have so how do you get people to show up and engage
0: yeah it's a good question um and as the sort of lockdowns in many places began to ease a bit, whatever that was eight months ago, six months ago, we were wondering to ourselves, how will this change what the on-deck programs look like? People aren't just stuck inside with an inability to go you know, see the world. And we were really pleasantly surprised that it didn't change attendance, which was a good a good moment for us realizing what we were doing was really impacting people in a valuable way. But to answer your question, the the reason that people drop off at some point from events like this is that they're not getting value anymore. And all of the sort of drop-off concerns, et cetera, have to be uh, considered way before it becomes a challenge. And if we're talking about an eight-week cohort, by week seven, there is going to be less, less attendance, if you will, in events than at week one. But Does that mean people are less engaged or getting less value out of the program? Not necessarily. it might, but it also might not, and I'll explain that a little bit, that at the beginning, people are so interested to see what is on deck, what, what are all these different types of events? What could I gain out of this? And so they're keen to try all the different areas that on deck, on deck covers. And that's great, and I think that's a really good start the experience. At some point, people begin to figure out, well, these five areas are really helpful to me, and these two other ones aren't. And what that is like the key turning point that makes on deck successful, I think. Because what you don't want is somebody to say, this is helpful, blanket, this is not helpful, blanket. What you wanna be able to do, and there's many ways you can do this, and I'll dive in, in a minute, what you wanna be able to do is give people the ability to discern for themselves what's a useful piece of their time and what's not within the ondeck universe. Because we don't need to fool ourselves that every part of OnDeck is going to be helpful to everybody in the world. It's not. It's just not realistic. But we try to offer enough, and I think we're pretty successful in this, that everybody can find what they need out of it. And so by the end of the cohort, we might see less people in each session, but that doesn't mean our engagement is lower. We're seeing people watch sessions later when they realize that there's some they can asynchronously watch and it gives them the same effect. They've realized that. We're watching people dive really deep into the sessions that they're in. They're asking a ton of questions to the speaker. They're so engaged. And they might only join one event per week, but they're giving that event 10 in their mind on NPS. They're saying that event alone this week was worth everything for On Deck for me. And so the way that we try to go about helping our, our community members discern that that's, I think, this the sort of art behind it that we're ever trying to iterate. Is it in the calendar event where we explain the format? Is it one to many? Is it small groups? How do we give the bio of the person speaking or the prompt of what the peer-to-peer conversation will be like? How do we give a clue? You know, in this world, emojis are everything. Every company is an emoji or something. How do we make an emoji system where people understand just by looking at the emoji whether that's going to be a helpful event to them or not? Our goal. Is first make really valuable brands. That's like the top level goal. But our second goal is to make it easy for our customers to discern what's really useful for them and what is maybe just a nice have or a nice to have. And that I think is where OnDeck really like sets itself apart is valuing our customers, our community members' time more than anyone else that that we try to that we try to benchmark against.
1: Yeah. No, I love that, and that's just. It goes to show how meticulous OnDeck is with thinking through all these, like the nuances of these problems. Great to see that kind of innovation. One of the things we we also talk about is early in the conversation is just the pace at which OnDeck has been launching new programs. And so, one thing I'm I'm curious about is what is the playbook for launching a new program? Like one, like how do you know that there's a need for this fellowship? What are the steps you run into it? in order to spin up a new fellowship and then how do you measure if that fellowship is successful or not
0: yeah it's a good question uh, if you have any ideas for fellowships feel free to pitch me uh, at the uh, <laughs> we it's a good question there's a couple ways that we really go about the process you just described and i gave a talk at ondeck community builders once about this for for folks that were building their own communities there's a, a fine line between over-analyzing product market fit before launching something and under-analyzing it, obviously. And I think what OnDeck tries to do is, is really walk that line where we've understood that there's a need in the community and we are really excited to serve that need. At the same time, as you talked about with ODS, we iterated a lot after launching that program and we're not afraid to iterate more. And so what we want to do is evaluate whether there's A general need for community in a certain area. And at that point, what we want to do is launch a program. And the way that we do that is we do a bunch of customer interviews, we figure out what might people be interested in community-wise from here. We try to bring on somebody to lead the program that's got an expertise in that area, a community perhaps already built around them, whether that's on Twitter or LinkedIn or just generally they're known in the area or in their field. And then we really give them the tools, that person we've hired, to build whatever their community needs. It's so bottom-up in that's that we've got lots of support operationally for this person. We've got an education team. We've got experienced folks. We've got everything resource-wise that this person might need to create an amazing community but at the same time we're not the experts on what their community is generally and so we try to defer to that person and you know one of the key one of the key attitudes that person has to have for us to be comfortable hiring them is they have to have an ear to the ground like they need to be a listener they need to be able to listen to what their community is saying and iterate and lead and we're happy to give them all the resources to do that but it takes a special personality to be able to do that and at that point we're going to launch to the market we're going to we're going to have a new program coming up The program director is going to spend the next eight weeks talking with people who are applying to the program, trying to help them understand what the program is going to be, while also altering the program to what people want. It's an interesting back and forth process. Six weeks into interviewing, the program director might say, I've got a really good idea of what people want now. I was able to use the interviews of people interested in being a part of the community to then make a thesis on what the community can be for them. Obviously, we come in with some idea, but we never try to pretend like we're experts on whatever we might be building a community around. We're listeners and we're really good community builders. That's where we uh, that's where we shine. And that that's what the process looks like. And then... As the first cohort goes on, we'll iterate, we'll learn. The first, I think the first cohort gains so much by being a part of it. They're able to shape the community, which might sound a little bit like a, a job, but really it's it's a pleasure for people in it. And I've been a part of an early community at OnDeck as well, was able to help shape it and being able to continue to iterate, bring on new cohorts later on and see the community you've built grow. It's it's a special
1: experience. Yeah. And it's, you know, while you're talking about this, I just try to picture in my head, what would what would the college system look like if professors did more of this? What if like professors interviewed students and and they iterated their syllabus? I'm curious if any professor ever has done this, but it just goes to show like the power of online education, the power where I think we like to call it the rise of entrepreneurship, where the people who are delivering the education are also the people who have the direct relationship with the customer. And there's something really magical that happens there is when you're a hook on the hook for delivering that transformation, it's really in your incentive to get it right. And whereas you have traditional education where somebody's so protected and isolated from the customer, the end, end student, that delivering that transformation is maybe not that important. So just like a day and night difference. And it just, it makes me really optimistic for uh, on deck, online learning, and, and just a future of society, to be honest.
0: I'll, I'll give you an even more point of inspiration, perhaps, or, or a layer on top. The administration of universities has been there for a long time. It's an old, They're old institutions, and they're hard to change. At the same time, we have professors, we have university staff applying to work at OnDeck all the time. And the reason is that they're so excited about what we are able to do. We're able to be agile. We're able to, like you said, listen to the customer and respond accordingly. And so there are so many great folks who are so passionate about furthering education in in our world. And many of them are at universities right now. And many of them, and in an increasing amount, are starting to look at OnDeck and say, could, "Could that be a place that I can make a difference?" And so. I, I say that as hopefully some point of inspiration as well, that there's organizations that are working to make changes and iterate the system. And, and there's great people around that are, if those organizations and great people can get together, that's when that's when magic
1: happens. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it unfold. A couple a couple questions to close us out. I'm, I'm curious, what are some discoveries that OnDeck has made about organizing live programming at scale? And what are maybe some unintuitively hard problems that On deck has had had to solve?
0: Yeah. I'll answer both of those a a bit together, actually, because they're related. One of the problems that David has written about is this idea that as a community grows, the utility grows as well, but there's also a sense of dilution at times if the community grows to be too large. And People who are in Web3 right now might might sense that in discords, for example, with thousands of people who community is like a loose term, perhaps, for what is happening there. And there's a lot of, a lot of benefits of those places, and there's a lot of great things happening. So I don't mean to put that down at all. But but numbers-wise, at thousands, you can sense that there's a loss at points. And so what Ondick is uniquely trying to figure out how to do, and I think we've done a pretty good job so far, is how do we both... Gain the benefits of a really large community, and I'll give an example of that. When you have a channel, for example, asks and and answers. This is a channel for people who have asks and they're looking for answers. It's pretty simple. When you have a hundred people in a community, the odds that somebody has an answer to your question are fairly low, depending on how niche your question is or you know how difficult it is. At a thousand people, it's 10 times the odds that somebody knows the answer. And there's that's one very simple example, but there's many examples of why as a community grows, there's so many benefits to that. Why having thousands of people all coalesced over a certain aspect of their identity is, is productive. I know you, you went to University of Michigan. So there's obviously an, an example of that as well. When you reach out to somebody who's at Michigan, they, there's some connection there. And so there's a benefit to a community scaling. At the same time, like I talked about with those thousand people discords, there's like a loss of intimacy when you get to that when you get to that scale and so it's a unique challenge that ondeck has tried to solve of how do we both keep the utility of these larger and larger communities granted many of our communities haven't reached this like 1000 person mark or something but we have ambitions that they will and we have ambitions that they'll reach it soon and with the utility that brings But how do we continue the intimacy, the personalized learning and iteration that we've had in our early cohorts when our community is so large? And so that, I think, is a really challenging aspect of of scaling any community and that OnDeck is facing like many others. The way that we've begun to tackle this is trying to understand where the benefits lie, doing a really deep analysis on where those benefits are of that large community, and where we can really pull those benefits, keep the large community together, put them all in a big room metaphorically, and where does it break down? Where does it actually turn the experience negative by having so many people in, in, in a room and what can we do to actually section those off? How do we maintain the intimacy in cohorts? How do we make people feel like they do in university where they've got their small group, but they've also got this bigger group, and then they've got this alumni group? And taking a note there and trying to understand how we cut up the various factions and sections of on deck to give the best experience to people. And the tough answer is that there's no easy answer and that the only way to figure it out is right now on a case-by-case basis. We just have an incredible team of people and that's their job, is to figure out how do I give the best experience to people here? When should we have the large group? When should we have the small group? It's not a science. Or if it is, we haven't cracked the code yet. We've still got a few variables to solve there. But for now, what we're doing and how we're tackling it is by having people on the team uh, that are really passionate about giving the best experience, take their time, figure out how we deliver that, iterate on that feedback. And if I ever crack the code for it, I'll let you know-ish.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I'll be rooting from the sidelines. But Joe, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I, I geek out about this stuff. I love talking about it. Thank you for taking the time. As we close, uh, are there any last minute plugs you want to give? And how can our audience learn more about On Deck and keep up with you on social media?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for asking. You can check us out at beyonddeck.com. That's B-E-O-N-D-E-C-K.com. There you'll find information on all of our programs. I talked about our you know, career accelerating programs, ODX, our investment accelerator, where you can find your next role. So if any of those are interesting, you're trying to up-level in your career, find your next thing, start your next thing, beyonddeck.com. Um, we probably have the program for you. And you can follow me on Twitter at techdetjoe. T E C H D E T like Detroit, Joe. And that's me. And thanks so much, Ish. I really appreciate the opportunity to jump on the pod.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Ish here. If you enjoyed that episode, Will and I would love for you to leave a review and a subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. If you want to keep up when new episodes drop, head on over to reshapingeducationpodcast.com or give Will and I a follow on Twitter. All the links will be in the show notes. With that, this is Ish and Will signing off.